There is just no good way to communicate all that happened when Jesus was crucified, no adequate words to describe nor explain, and surely, it is beyond human comprehension and description, all that happened that day on the cross, in the heavens, on the earth, below the earth, and most importantly and significantly in the heart of Jesus, the Son of Man, Son of God. We cannot fathom the depth of the love that held Him to that cross and kept Him on mission, thus we cannot fathom the depth of the pain He experienced in the depths of His soul as that intense and never-faltering love was rejected, scorned and mocked, as those He loved, from His followers, to His people, to His own Father, turned away and rejected Him, leaving Him to suffer and die misunderstood and unappreciated. The few who did still love and feel the pain of His ordeal in their souls were left without hope. And this only added to Jesus' pain. No one seemed to understand that this was all necessary and foretold. Yet, if they had, it wouldn't have happened, a plan and scenario only His Father could have foreseen and used for good, taking advantage of man's ignorance and susceptibility to evil influences, to save Him from those very things. Even in their taunts they proclaimed truth, yet failed to understand the words. In three days this temple would indeed be rebuilt. But it would not be a temple built with hands. The large heavy curtain that separated the stone temple sanctuary from the world was torn in two, perhaps because the Spirit of God had left the building, perhaps as a sign that the way was now open for all who wished, to come before the Father, through Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth and the life. There would be no more need for a temple made of stone for the Spirit of God would soon be residing in the hearts of those who loved Him, a new temple was being prepared that day, and would be completed on the resurrection day, a temple rebuilt in three days. Preparing this message I prayed Lord, help me to communicate the significance and gravity of this event, what the cross means to us and what it meant to you. Help me to communicate the price you paid for our sin, for our redemption through your words, from your spirit, from your heart, Lord, I hesitated, dare I even say it, help me to see the crucifixion through your eyes. But then I knew, that's what I had to do. To try to take you there, to the cross on that horrific and reality-altering day, through the eyes of the Saviour. As I said, words can never fully explain, nor minds comprehend, the things of the Spirit that were happening simultaneously in history and in eternity that day. But we have to try. After all, we were there. It was our sinful flesh that was being crucified that day, the evil that dwells in our hearts was being transposed from us to Christ in those dark hours. His death was our death, His hellish nightmare experience should have been ours. 20 I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians 2:20. When Paul said he had been crucified with Christ, it was not wordplay, that is the reality of the believer in Christ. So, since Jesus became us on the cross, maybe it is not so radical to try and see the cross through His eyes. It is after all, not we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Through His eyes. Jesus, the Nazarene, teacher, prophet and miracle worker, is being nailed to a rough-hewn and heavy wooden cross, the kind the Romans used to cause a slow and hideous death that becomes a fear-inducing spectacle for all to see. The sight of a cross struck fear and revulsion in all, because they knew what it was for, so did Jesus, and it loomed large in His vision just before He was forced to lie on it. His arms are lashed to the cross beam with ropes and He turns to look at the soldier who has placed a sharp spike against His wrist. He sees the hammer rise and fall and He cries out in pain. He is startled by the sudden intensity of the pain that manages to override momentarily even that of his lash-torn back pressed against the wooden beam, and the new puncture wounds being made in the back of his head, as he is forced to lay his thorn-crowned head against the cross beam. But what he sees as he looks through swollen eyelids at the soldier who is swinging the hammer is a man who has no idea the evil he is perpetrating and who it is that he is piercing with the nails. 
he is just a soldier following orders to execute what he believes to be just another Jewish rebel. Jesus looks at him, the one who sees him as just another worthless Jew to be rid of, and loves him, him and his fellow soldiers, and prays, Father forgive them, they know not what they do. The next thing he sees is the soldier reaching over him to nail the accusation against him to the cross above his head. He feels the vibrations of every blow painfully transferred through the three nails holding his hands and feet. He sees the dusty sandaled feet of those passing close by as they mockingly read the charge on the sign, King of the Jews and they laugh as they begin making jokes among themselves at his expense. He sees the hobnailed sandals of the soldiers as they push back the jeering mockers lest someone grab the pile of clothing that Jesus had just been stripped of, the sum total of his earthly belongings, now spoils to be gambled for. To his left and right, he sees from the corner of his eye, other crosses and hears pained and hoarse voices alternating between curses and taunts as they too mock him. Lying on his back it is hard to see anything really, as he is forced to squint his burning eyes against the glaring overhead sun, a sun seemingly intent on adding to his misery. Suddenly his vision is swimming as he is quickly hoisted upright in one swift, well-practiced maneuver, and he finds himself looking down on his world as the cross is lifted up and dropped with a flesh-tearing thud into a hole in the ground. Looking down. His vision soon clears as his dehydrated and blood-loss-weakened head stops spinning. He can now see the whole crowd, the same that has jeered and hissed at him all the way to this hilltop. He sees through the blood and sweat that flows unchecked into his tortured eyes, the chief priests who are now defiling themselves by looking upon the blood of a man who will soon be dead. Yet Jesus knows they must be there, the chief priests are the ones who must oversee this offering of the final Passover lamb. Mark 15 31-32 Likewise the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Yet the taunts of the priests are like a knife to his heart, because he knows that they will suffer greatly for what they do, and they don't have to if they had only listened and believed. They were the first ones to be shown the truth, from the prophets, to his visit to the temple as a boy, and his many visits to the temple. God was speaking, and they were scheming. He looks at the gathered crowd, he sees the faces in the crowd, and he sees into their hearts. He sees the angry man who just lost all he owned to a crooked steward. He sees the hurting woman who just lost a baby girl to sickness and is despairing beyond words. He sees the horrified child peering out from behind his father. He sees the disappointed rabbi who really believed that he could be the Messiah, but is now angry that he was apparently duped, yet again. Their taunts and jeers, rage fueled by disappointment and hopelessness, tears at his heart. He sees the women who followed and cared for him looking on from a distance, horrified and confused. Their faces a mask of disbelief and pain as they weep into their hands and try in vain to comfort one another. He aches to be able to comfort them and tell them to not give up hope, this is not the end, but he knows that all they can see and hear now is death and despair. Then he sees a sight that horrifies him more than all the rest, his mother, Mary, standing next to his good friend and devoted follower, John. She desperately reaches out to him but is held back by John and the gleaming points of Roman spears. The pain and anguish he sees in her eyes as they search his for some kind of answer, is another knife in his already aching and straining heart. Mother, he croaks between labored breeds behold your son referring to John. He then admonishes John this is now your mother care for her. Everywhere he looks he sees and hears human pain, anguish, anger, fear and rage. All directed at, and magnified by his body pinned to this pagan cross. But through it all, through the pain-induced haze that causes his eyes to dim and nearly black out at times, through the taunts, cries and jeers, he still has a strength and a measure of peace, a strength and a peace that has been with him through all the years of his ministry, 
a presence he felt even as a child and recognized as a presence that he had known even long before that, a presence and oneness that had been his for eternity past, it was the presence of his father. His father's will. He knows he has to do this. He knows the prophecies and the promises, that he is the promised one, the suffering servant, the seed of Eve, the Lamb of God, he knows he is in his father's will. And that is what gave him the strength and the will to face this day in the first place, to come back to this city knowing it would be his end. His cousin John had confirmed his mission at his baptism, Behold the Lamb, who takes away the sin of the world and his Father had sent his Spirit to affirm and empower him in his human and frail form. But what happens now, as he hangs there on that fated cross, he is not prepared for. Although he knew it had to happen, there was just no way of being prepared for it, the Holy One, the One through whom, of whom and by whom, all things were created, he who knew no sin, had no way to comprehend, or scale by which to measure, the darkness that he was about to become, in the eyes of his Father. And he feels the darkness as much as sees it approach. He turns his eyes heavenward as the bright sun that had earlier tormented him now inexplicably dims until he can see nothing, not with his eyes, but his heart and soul are witnessing things he had never been forced to look upon before, he is feeling things he had never felt, and hearing voices of pain, vileness, condemnation and curses in his head that drown out and overshadow the mocking voices and the angry and anguished cries that have besieged him all day. But then, the worst pain of all, a heart-ripping, spirit-killing, bone-chilling feeling of sudden emptiness, scorn and abandonment, as all things good, all things right, his very sense of self and his very identity is suddenly ripped away, his Father has turned away, all of heaven, has turned away. He has become sin, he has become darkness, he has become death. He is totally and utterly alone as all the heinous and vile things mankind has ever done or imagined doing is now in him. He is living it, breathing it, it is emanating from his very pores like the blood he had sweated out just the night before as he anticipated this moment. He who knew no sin, has become sin. And his father has forsaken him for it. He looks down for a moment, forced back into the present by the painful reality of having to pull himself up against the nails just to take a breath as the pressure on his hanging torso makes it impossible to breath normally, and he sees, in the light of a few hastily acquired torches, the faces of his sheep, the ones he has promised to shepherd even if he has to go looking for them and he knows, he knows, a sense from somewhere deep in his tortured core, that he has to endure this, for them. But the anxiety, the rising feeling of panic, the bottomless pit of despair that has taken the place of the fullness and love he had always sensed from his father is almost more than he can bear, and before he even realizes he has decided to speak, the anguished words of his ancestor King David are ripped from his cracked and bleeding lips, spoken in the language he learned at his mother's knees Aloy, Aloy, Lama Savaktani? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And still, the darkness grips him. He vaguely sees a sponge lifted before his face, he smells the sour smell of wine but it is soon withdrawn as those below shout something about Elijah. He sees in his mind's eye the brief image of Elijah as he was on the day that he and Moses had come to prepare him for this day, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he is reassured just a bit, just enough to keep him from cursing the day he was born into this vile planet. And he continues to fight to remember why he is here to bleed for the sins which continue to course through him, and he understands the darkness of the sun. The Father had turned away from the sin he has become and the light of the world has departed, the Father has looked away and the life and the light of men is being extinguished. Then suddenly, it is done. Three hours of torturous outer darkness separated from the love that is his Father, eons of compiled sin, blasphemies, perversions, murders, greed, vile and heinous acts of every nature, all crammed into the longest three hours ever lived by anyone on this earth, has ended. He is still on the cross, 
he is still bleeding and fighting for every breath, still wrecked with pain and heartbroken for those he loves, but he sees the sun began to shine again and he hears the voice of his father as coming from a distant place, and it whispers, It is finished. It is finished son, words that Jesus quietly repeats. He looks down and sees the wide eyes and expectant faces of the now silent crowd and he knows that he has completed his mission. He senses his father drawing nearer and he cries out, a cry of triumph mixed with pain and fury as from a warrior who has vanquished his foes yet still bleeds from the fight that was fueled by a need to finally and utterly destroy the enemy. The body still wants to fight, his muscles quiver with the effort and his mind races with the implications of it all but he knows he is finished, for now. There is nothing left to do here and he releases himself from his battered flesh, he gives up his spirit, with the words, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He is leaving his battered body behind, the shell of the man he had become for 33 years, but he knows he will return because he knows he has defeated death on that Roman cross, no one else knows it yet, but they will, soon, very soon. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Hosea's observed where he was laid. Mark 1546 46-47